Hello, welcome to Tay Radio Marin. I'm your host, Annalie Reyes. And I'm your co-host, Javier Vicuna. On today's show, we'll be celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month with our special guest, Ismael Rey Lara. Welcome to the show, Ismael. We're very excited to have you on here for um, us on the show, explaining more about your perspective as a teacher and as a Latino. Um, how are you today? Well, first and foremost, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for allowing me to be with y'all. Um, their space. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for, you know, make, making the time to be here with us. Um, it's really exciting, too, because Ismael just dropped his EP today, mm-hmm. uh, Walking Stars, and we're going to be playing some of his music today uh, later in the show. So look forward to that. Yeah. And would you want to introduce yourself to the audience right now? Of course. Thank you. Uh, so my full name is Ismael III Medrano. I'm from, I was born in San Francisco, California, in the Mission District. I'm also from Stockton, California as well. Nice. Um, thank you for introducing yourself. And we will be delving into learning more about you and the information that you'll share with us. Um, but first, we'll have Javier say his quote of the week. Yeah. So, I mean, I thought it was pretty appropriate for, for you know, for Hispanic Heritage Month to pick a Cesar Chavez quote. Um, you know, he's the he's like the Latin American hero. You know, he he, he really did a whole lot uh, for our people. And the, the quote that I chose by him is, our language is the reflection of ourselves. A language is an exact reflection of the character and growth of its speakers. So what I really got out of that quote is that, you know, when I go home, I speak Spanish, you know, I, I speak Spanish with my family. I speak Spanish with, um, if I go to a, like a taqueria or I go to like a, like a Mexican market, anything, like anytime I can speak Spanish, like I'm speaking it, you know, cause I'm, I'm, I'm embracing my culture. I'm embracing where I'm coming from. You know, whenever I speak Spanish, it's a reminder to me that, yo, I'm, I'm Latino. Like, this is who I am. Like, this is my mm-hmm. identity. Like I'm, I'm always identifying myself as this. Yeah. And it's just a good reminder for myself. And like I said, like like when I think when I'm speaking a different language, I'm in a different world. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like my whole the whole world changes when when I speak a different language because yeah. it's different. No, it really is. And, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of history behind languages. And yes. Spanish is a beautiful language. And and I'm so happy to have a background where I can speak Spanish with so many mm-hmm. different people and learn so many stories about just what we've been through so yeah Yeah. i'm also proud of being a latina and embracing that culture with my friends who are having different cultures and different backgrounds um and i can agree that our language really has a lot of um history and past generations passed down um learning this language and speaking it um and showing emotion with among each other so i think it's very important our language and um, continuing using our language. Um, and I know like some people that are half Mexican and half American and they don't speak um, Spanish, but I totally agree with them that they, they still should embrace their culture because uh, that's who they are and, and they have past generations in their blood. So uh, of Spanish um, speaking uh, generations um, talking wise, but yeah, I, I liked your quote of the week, and thank you for sharing it. Yeah. Now we'll be learning more about Ismael's perspective as a Latino teacher. And Javier will start off with the question. Yeah, so Ismael, so from, you know, I, I, I was saying that a lot on social media uh, that you were um, advertising your classes um, that you were teaching. Um, and 
that made me think, well, what made you want to become a teacher in the first place? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, for me, I tell my students all the time that I didn't know about my history initially as a spark to want to become an ethnic studies uh, professor, uh, someone who centers the Latino Latino diaspora, someone that centers the beauty and the brilliance of the Latino Latino experience, because we w I just wasn't taught that, you know, from K to 12. I just wasn't taught that. I think that looking back, um, even in high school, if I learned something about Mexican American history, it was very brief. It was maybe a paragraph. And it might've been even like towards the end of the semester. What really sparked an interest to me was first learning about African American history, African American mm. literature. Um, those stories really inspired me to say, wow, this is amazing. Um, from, from a young age, I, Harriet Tubman has been my, my superhero. And learning about Harriet Tubman, I learned about uh, Frederick Douglass. Uh, I think that those stories and those realities sparked an interest within myself to say, okay, cool, this is this is amazing. <laughs> now, who looks like me and has done something similar? And that's what bridged that interest, that curiosity. And so that's when um, I knew I wanted to, more, to learn more about my history. And so... I think another thing I, got, I just got to say real quick is that you're looking at someone that didn't even graduate from high school. Someone who was born here in the States and grew up, like you said, speaking Spanish. We always spoke Spanish in the home because we come from a Mexican family. And outside, stepping outside the home, we spoke English, me and my two siblings, Elizabeth and Perla. And so I think with that realization, is the follow-up that, well, where, where are the folks that look like us? You quoted Cesar Chavez, right? I didn't get to know about Cesar Chavez until I was in community college. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't graduate from high school. I had to go to Stockton School of Adults. And then I was enrolled in the San Joaquin Delta College, uh, College of Stockton. I was enrolled and registered into the Puente program. Uh, Puente is a statewide program for underrepresented students to help them with counseling, mentorship, mm -hmm. and uh, through guidance. And it was those classes that taught me about Chicano, Chicano history, Chicano, Chicano literature, just how the interest began with the African-American history classes that I was taking in high school. That's mm -hmm. awesome. You know, uh, I, I relate a lot to what you said, because, uh, you know, growing up for me, too, as a, I didn't really, you know, a lot of the, the books that they were teaching in high school and a lot of the books that they were sharing in middle school, even they're all written by white people, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, sure, it's good literature and it's good for, you know, learning the English language. But also a part of me was like, um, like, I want to learn more about like where, where I'm from, you know, yeah. like where I come from, like, because I'm Mexican, too. And, you know, there's not many you don't really learn a lot about Mexican leaders or mm -hmm. again, like the Mexican-American war. They just kind of say, oh, yeah, Mexico lost. Uh, America's mm -hmm. the best now. So yeah. it's like it's like, OK, well what really happened in that war, you know? Mm -hmm. They don't really want to delve into details like that, you know? Yeah. It's all very skewed. Like, all high school history in general is very skewed and, and mm -hmm. just praising America all the time. Yeah, um, I can I can relate that. I didn't hear anything about Cesar Travis until I took Presente, which is this class that MCM offers. 
And it was pretty cool because in Presente, I was able to learn about my culture. Um, because in school as well, in high school, I didn't learn about like where my history comes from. And all I heard from like history and like A-plush, um, AP US history, yeah. um, was just like the Spanish wars, how they first were in the, in the US country first before like the 13 colonies and stuff like that. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't with great details and like, yeah, they mentioned mestizos, but it wasn't like in great detail with what they did with the American, uh, literature or history that you have mentioned. Right. And I, I thought it was very eye opening too, when you mentioned that you, your heroes are, um, you know, Harriet Tubman and all these really great African-American leaders, um, because it, it, Harriet Tubman, I mean, did so much for the African-Americans here here in America. And her story is just so inspiring because she literally was a slave herself. And she managed to save so many lives and, like, get so many people to freedom. Like, she's an inspiration to everyone. And it really um, made me realize, like, how much I enjoyed taking, like, um, literature, like, Latino literature classes in my university when I went there. And it made me realize, like, you know, they should be offering these classes at in high schools, you know, at the very least, uh, because, you know, here in Marin County, there is um, there's a really big growth of Latino people here. And mm -hmm. a lot of them, you know, they may not always relate to the literature that we read in, in high school. And, and that would cause some of us to like just not want to go to school because it's just like it's not relevant to us. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's why I, I think uh, I'm, you're doing God's work by just being a teacher who's Latino, who's, you know, letting everyone know about our backgrounds, embracing it, and, you know, at least giving people right information about where they come from. And, and it's really mm -hmm. inspiring. Like, like I'm, I'm really, great to, really grateful to be hearing your story right now. Yeah. And you mentioned about your thoughts on... Um, like, what are your thoughts on teaching Latino history in college? You mentioned that. Um, but I was wondering, like, do you believe Latino or Spanish history should be taught in middle school or in high school? Uh, yes, absolutely. And I just want to give a shout out, give a lot of credit to my chair at uh, College of Marin, because I teach at a lot of colleges. Nevertheless, y'all in Marin, so I want to speak on that. So uh, I've been teaching at College of Marin for a few years now in the ethnic studies program and social sciences. And if it wasn't for all the support, the hard work, commitment, and dedication of my chair, uh, Professor Walter Turner, I wouldn't be able to do the things that I've done. Because of Walter Turner, I've been um, allowed to access uh, with the institution, of course, of College of Marin, with the help of outreach, Anna Pilates office, um, and Julian, and Lily, and, and Avi, and all those good folks. Um, because of them, I've actually been teaching dual uh, immersion for the last couple of years. And so the College of Marin will send me to San Rafael High School. I've taught a, a semester at Terra Linda. I taught another semester, um, Mill Valley, I think. I think it was Mill Valley, if that's a high school in your area. And then uh, mostly I've been based at San Rafael the last couple of years. And the answer is yes, yes, and yes, because um, teaching, uh, with young folk in high school, some of those high school students are now at UCs, CSUs, COM, and it's really amazing to see 
the response, the emails that I get even today on my class. And I tell them it's not, it, it has something to do with me. I just think that I'm just a facilitator to the knowledge, to the pedagogy, to the history, um, to teach it in an ethical way uh, with dignity, respect, and compassion to illuminate these histories. And so I think that yes, yes, and yes. And now we don't have to necessarily teach the same book. I'll give you a concrete example. Um, a Different Mirror by Ron Takaki is a book that I've used in the high schools in, um, in San Rafael. And it talks a lot about a lot of the oppressive natures in which most Americans don't realize that black and brown people have, have endured. For middle school, I would say use the, the young reader version of that same book. Hmm. And so that, that's the follow-up to your second question is, yes, I think that we, excuse me, Yes, I think that we should be teaching that in middle school. Now, maybe not necessarily with the exact same um, text, but yeah. there's text scholars that are brilliant that that create um, books for younger minds to be able to grasp and understand. And at the bottom, at the at the end of the day, I really believe that kids and youth are really smart, really intelligent, and they know the realities in which they live in. Yeah, I feel like what you mentioned about like as a role model um Harriet Tubman was your role model and I feel like if people if Latinos see a role model in history they have more confidence in themselves and believe that they can do it too you know definitely Mm because you know growing up like I said before I didn't really have any role models to look up to you know other Mm -hmm. than my I mean I I look at my parents as role models you know and I, I feel like a lot of Latinos can vouch for that uh, you know, a lot of our parents immigrated here, and they struggled to get here. Um, and they've they, they each share their own unique stories, but and that that in and of itself is inspiring. And and that's why I respect my parents so much because I I don't know where I would be at if they never crossed the border mm-hmm. or if or if they never got me here to the U.S. Like it I, would be a whole different it would story. Be a whole different story, <laughs> and I wouldn't be literally where I'm at right now here. Mm-hmm. You know, so. You know, go uh, big respects to all Latin parents that have you know crossed the border and have you know given their family uh, a new a new hope because I know it's it gets it's bad oh, sometimes over where we live at. So um, yeah, but yeah. well, um, we're, we'll we'll take a short pause here and we're gonna introduce our PSA, which is gonna be talking about wildfire because there is wildfire season and we hope you guys find it helpful. And here it is. Wildfire season is here again. Pacific Gas and Electric will turn off electricity when there is extreme fire danger to reduce the risk of wildfires. Marin residents need to be ready in case of prolonged power outages. First, you can sign up to get notifications about planned power outages. These will tell you when the power outages are likely to happen and how long the power will be out. To receive notifications, text your zip code to 888 Second, be sure to have a working flashlight, enough food and water for three days and other necessary items stored in your house and or your car. Third, learn about how to prepare to keep your family safe in case of a wildfire or extended power outage. See emergency preparedness information on the readymarin.org website. Please text your zip code to 888-777 to get on the alert system today. 
All right. We hope you guys found that PSA helpful. And we'll be transitioning more into uh, Ismail's um, music career because, as we mentioned, he is dropping a EP or is dropped today, uh, his new music. And well, we wanted to ask first, what made you want to pursue music? Uh, ever since I was a kid, I just loved poetry, uh, spoken word. Mm. I was fortunate as a young person to have access to HBO and through HBO, I would watch uh, most deaf hosts, you know, the, uh, the poetry jam. Oh yeah. Deaf poetry jam. And yeah. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Like most deaf just do his thing, you know, Paul Flores and all these amazing, amazing, brilliant artists. Mark Gonzalez is one of my wow. favorite poets. Yeah. Mark. And it just always inspired me. I was always a very creative young mind and, Art, poetry, communication, public presentation, just public speaking in general, just um, was some hard work at first. But once I eased into it, it became something that I just, it's who I am. It's what I am. And so uh, my father, since 2009, I've been trying to put out a project, okay? (laughs) And so I'm 39 now. And so... I don't let age discourage me because I believe that we're, we're never too young or too old for our purpose. And I believe that music is a part of my purpose. Mm-hmm. I believe that my music goes hand in hand and is intersected with what I teach. Because if y'all take a y'all take a listen to the EP and you're going to hear a lot of cultural references, a lot of historical references, uh, my personal perspectives on issues, on uh, on politics, on equity, and uh, oppression and whatnot. And what really, really made me get this EP done um, was the death of my pops. Uh, my pops was everything. My pops instilled the values and principles that have made me the being that I am today. And through his strength, uh, I found the courage to lose fear. To lose sense of, I never put that project out because it was never good enough or I thought people would laugh at me. And um, I failed a lot in in community college, even at, I went to undergrad at UC Merced. And I don't know if y'all even remember this movie, if you've ever seen it, Mas Bien, but like Eight Miles starring Eminem. Yeah, of course watch that movie. (laughs) That was me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, The day before... My, my first performance at UC Merced, the day before, practice was great. I, I killed it, went fine. Uh, and then the day of, I just, I wasn't feeling too great. Uh, I had some anxiety building. And I just, ah, I got into three words and I just choked and froze. Yeah. And uh, I felt like my world was going to end. I felt just like, uh, just like Eminem in that movie. And then I say that to say that there's been other times where I did very good. But I think that failure, pain are all part of lessons. And when my pops transitioned to be an ancestor, it it really reminded me that I need whatever my dream may be, I can't hold back or worry. And then the pandemic hit. That, that was the first phase was my dad. The second phase was the pandemic. And in the pandemic, people are dying every day. Excuse me. And I just kept thinking about, if I die today, what is my legacy? 
if I die today, did I really pursue with all my heart, with all my love, with all my soul, my, my purpose in life? And the answer was no, because I've had this itch to pursue artistic career. And it's tough when, when I'm married uh, to my beautiful wife, Jackie. Uh, we have three beautiful children. Um, they all have uh, not what middle names, indigenous names. My firstborn is Ismael, the fourth, Witzelin. My secondborn is Emiliano. Um, oh my God, why am I blanking on his name? Cuauhtémoc, <laughs> my third boy, <laughs> Santiago, Tonali. And they all have cultural references. And honestly, it's because of my family and my wife and my children that gave me the strength to to do what I do. If you look at the, the cover art to the album, it's called Walking Stars because it's the main song that I wrote for my dad. And it's a it's a reminder to people that listen that, hey, we, we ain't perfect, but every day we have a chance to grow, to love. Um, and, and through that understanding that once we let go of fear and we understand that we never die, that the second law of thermodynamics is energy can't be destroyed, you know, or duplicated, that means we transition into stars for, and we become ancestors. And then our duty and our job is to illuminate the path for our loved ones on Earth. Well, sorry to hear about your father's death, uh, Ismael. Um, I, I understand how that can be. I suffered a lot of death in my family uh, during the pandemic, unfortunately. Um, a lot of my like uh, grandparents and uncles that I knew in Mexico, uh, unfortunately, had to pass away. Uh, from COVID-19 and it really hit, it really hits hard, you know, and I, I, I understand how it feels to, to lose. Also, I've lost a brother too. Like uh, I had a brother and, and I lost him at a very young age. Um, he, he left this planet way too soon, but it's, it's things like that, that, you know, make, make you who you are and, and make you kind of just want to reach out and just, you know, do, do the thing already, you know, like, like, I, I'm so glad that you were very transparent about like, you know, you were practicing for this, this show and then you were doing great and then come the show, you know, it doesn't go according to plan. And that's just how life is. Life doesn't go according to what you think, you know, and also being motivated and doing, um, being scared, having that anxiety that like, man, if I release this music, everyone's going to think it's crap or, or if this and that, like, what if it doesn't sound good? Like we're all perfectionists, you know, we, we all want it to be like, like top 100, like perfect. And I'm the same way too. Like uh, I've been meaning to come out with music as well, but, uh, you know, it's just that part of me where I'm like, dude, I just think I sound like the same as everyone else. Or I sound like I'm, I'm like doing, but just do it for yourself. I think is is really important. Do it for yourself. Do it for the people who you love, because you know that those people that you love, they're gonna go back and they're gonna support you. You know, and you're gonna really find the people who who really care about you, um, will be listening to your stuff, will be supporting you in whatever projects you may be doing, and it's just you have to push yourself. You know, like, and you have to take those risks. You know, like taking risk of of being live in person or having to do this project. Just putting something out there and like you said leaving a legacy like how am i going to be like when i die like what are people going to think of me when i die when i'm no longer here in this planet you know um what what is that going to do to me uh like what what am i leaving behind so i'm really glad that you've you know 
age doesn't even matter like uh, in terms of like what you put out to the world because you can put out whatever you want at any age and it's just about you finding that motivation and finding that um want and that that passion to just release something out so wow thank thank you so much for um for sharing that as well because uh uh, there isn't very many Latino rappers out there either. I mean, there is, uh, but like like ones that I'd say like I'd compare to. Unless you can recommend me some, I don't know. But in terms of like someone that I can compare, like like Kendrick Lamar type of type of Latino rapper, or or someone with um, the type of uh, writing that I don't know, um, someone like Most Def, you said. Would would like a Latino rapper that's like so mainstream and so good that isn't playing like what is it? What what's Reggaeton. the big thing? Reggaeton, exactly. Like I got yeah. somebody top of my head right now. All right, who is it? Name him right now. <laughs> y'all y'all need to listen to my brother, to my hermano Boca Floja. Boca Floja, like it. <laughs> all right. Well, we all know now. Everyone go check We're, out Boca yeah. Floja too. Uh, I'm gonna go check that out. Yeah, gotta go check that out, but. I think this is the perfect time to uh, transition into uh, Ismael's song, oh, yeah. uh, which uh, the one that we chose here is uh, "Pa Delante." Uh, I really like the message of the so- of the song, but I'll let you, you know, describe it in your own words when we finish playing it. Uh, but here it is. It's going to be an excerpt because it's just that we were a little short on time. But uh, again, this is uh, "Pa Delante" by Ismael. good song i when i was listening it i was envisioning like you know like that warm-up um for basketball basketball i used to like play basketball song. yeah <laughs> yeah I, I like i remember like i enjoyed listening to hype music while like doing my layups in basketball so i really like that song i would like if i were to go back in time i would play this song <laughs> um but i was wondering what was the meaning of the song for you yeah, Pa Delante is a, I think it's my anthem to the, it's it's an anthem song, right? It's it, it's talking about uh, historical consciousness that is sometimes very, very deep and there's layers, you know, and I understand that. I'll tell you like this, when I'm in the classroom, 
I, I think about what my wife and I talk about. She's an educator as well. And she constantly has to remind me, like, hey, remember, you didn't know what you know today at one point. And so I say that to say one of my favorite quotes by Gloria uh, Ansaldua, uh, who wrote Borderlands, uh, New Mestiza, is this land was Mexican once, always is, and will be again Indian, Native American. And so with that understanding, it's I, I am very proud um, to to embrace my heritage. And like you hear in the song, the 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 brown, white, and the black. Yeah. Now while not all Mexicans or people from Latin America have African heritage, many of us do. And so to be mindful that sometimes terminologies, um, even classes, policies, exclude or include people. I think that's important. I think that's extremely important. So in my classes, I do what I can to teach about these histories and these real realities of Black Mexicans, Black Peruvians, of of of, of Black folk in Cuba and, and Haiti and the DR. Mm-hmm. And so... I think that's important. So the song, the song is a reminder to the people that, um, and there's strength in unity. There's the strength in understanding that people will say whatever they have to say about you to deter you from a goal, but nevertheless to follow your own light, your own light that's in your heart. That we all have a light. We all have a purpose. We're all here to, to make the society better. And in the the first verse is. is uh, I bring up Neza Bocoyo. I bring up the story of Prince, Princess Erendina from the Perepetras because um, I have a bloodline uh, through my mom's side of family from Michoacan. And hey, my father's same here, bro. Same here. <laughs> Michoacan <laughs> represent. <laughs> from my dad um, and his bloodline uh, family from Guanajuato. And so I think that it, it's important to, I, I just, I'll leave it here. Not all Mexicans are Aztecs. Most most people think that if you're Mexican, you're Aztec. That's, I mean, you're Mexica. That's just inaccurate. Mm. You know, so many tribes, uh, like in the state of Guanajuato, we're talking about maybe possibly the Otomi and other tribes. In, in Michoacan, you're talking about a tribe like the Perepetras, right? And, and so, to just give a blanket term to all tribes and, and all peoples is attic because then we disregard autonomy. And autonomy is very important because every tribe or every region has different needs and necessities. And so in this song, what I'm trying to say is that reading is important. In the second verse, I say Paulo Ferry, Bell Hooks, Sherry Muraga, uh, Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz. I don't say her whole name, right? But I dropped her name. And so there's an importance to read. Um, our people were, were not allowed. It was illegal for us to read and write. And so the that off the bat should tell us that reading and writing is a threat. Education itself and self-determination is very empowering. Mm-hmm. So that song's about it, is that no matter what happens to us, you know, like my Puerto Rican family say, vamos a seguir para adelante, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like it really encourages us to keep going, um, to translate in English. <laughs> para adelante is to like keep going and... I'm move forward. Move forward. <laughs> yeah. Forward, yeah. Um, onward. 
Onward. Onward. Um, but I did wanted to ask you as a teacher, like, what are some historical events from Latinos who contributed to this country that made it so different and unique? Yeah, so like maybe like what you were mentioning in the songs, you were you were naming a lot of people there. Um, maybe you can explain a little more about like a like how not all Mexicans may be Aztecs. I I think I think that'd be good to know. Well, yeah, because um, you know, I'll do two things in the same question, right? When when the when the term like Hispanic is created by the U.S. government, it, it has specific objectives, desired outcomes. Yeah. As for a census, right? And, and so Hispanic has this connotation to Europe and to Spain, um, and 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 Spanish-speaking countries, which would exclude, for instance, Brazil, because they speak uh, Portuguese. Portuguese. Yeah. And thus, that when we talk about Latino and Latino, that we include uh, Brazil, and and what becomes problematic is in Latinx or Latinidad, oftentimes. Um, whitens or, or uh, tends to blanquimiento tends to um, utilize a European ideology even within historically people of color. Like in the beginning of the show, right, we're talking about how who writes the books is important. I think equally important is their consciousness and contributions. For instance, I'd rather have a person of color that's for people of color versus a person of color that's not for people of color, if that makes sense. And so mm, yeah. what I'm seeing is that um, oftentimes these terms, they are, are put out to the general masses because they sound cool, right? Nevertheless, they might have detrimental problematic outcomes that exclude Black Mexicans, Black, you know, uh, Puerto Ricans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so if y'all want to get a little more information on that, you know, there's a few books that I'd read. Um, I, I'd, I'd, I'd watch uh, Boca Floja's documentary on Nana Dijo. I'd watch PBS documentary, Dr. Uh, Gates Jr. on Black and Latin America. And the other thing was one concrete example in which Mexicans, um, 1931, Roberto Alvarez versus excuse me, the Lemon Grove Trustees School Board. Most people don't know that the Supreme Court case, landmark case, the Brown versus Board of Education, 1954, that desegregated schools, right, is, is a landmark case because you desegregated schools. Hmm. But most people know that it's actually um, one of the first successful desegregation court case was led by Mexican and Mexican-American families um, in Lemon Grove, California, uh, outside of San Diego, and they don't—they they don't know that the stereotypes are Mexicans are all these horrible things that I don't want to name. Nevertheless, if we understand history from a perspective in race and resistance, we understand that people of color have always contributed to this country. And in this case, we should read. We should probably take my class or uh, <laughs> learn more about the Lemon Grove incident because that's the first successful de desegregation court case in the United States of America. And it was led by Mexican and Mexican American families who do value education, who do value um, everything that is the opposite of the stereotypes that's stigmatized upon us. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, just kind of to add to that, um, I wanted to mention that a lot of people seem to also, you know, because of all those stereotypes that have been made by Mexicans, like for Mexicans, right, that the U.S. made, um, that those stereotypes translate into other people who aren't even Mexican but are Latino. So, like, what I'm trying to say here is, like, uh, there's a lot of Guatemalans here in Marin. Like, like me. <laughs> yeah, like Annalie. There's a lot of uh, people from Honduras here. And there's a lot of people from all over uh, mm-hmm. Central and South America. So it it really, um, those stereotypes are so harmful to them as well because they, uh, I mean, we're all very different. I mean, I mean, we, we all speak the same language, but uh, the culture in, like, let's say Mexico and the culture in Costa Rica it's different, you know, it's not, we're not all the same. And, you know, I still face a lot of discrimination from a lot of people here in Marin. I feel yeah. a lot. They're still like, oh, look, here's a bunch of Mexicans who are, but, who are really lazy or something. Or like, oh, look, these these guys, like, it's always has to be with Mexicans, but not not everyone that they say that to are Mexicans, you know? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it causes a lot of... and. It causes a lot of uh, hurt between ourselves too, because then the Guatemalans are like, "Well, look, look at what the Mexicans cause." Now everyone looks at us like them, or or something. You know, it causes kind of like this, this like really terrible dynamic that that was only built from the stereotypes that were created by the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously that, that's that's like an extreme example, but I'm just saying that those stereotypes really are harmful to to all of us you know not just mexicans but it's also harmful to to whatever central americans come from or wherever they're from they have to face the same things too and and it's not really their fault either you know it's they didn't come here thinking they were going to get all these stereotypes that were created for mexicans like it's just unfair you know but yeah real quick Is that by accident or by design? I'll just that's food for thought. So let's let's keep it moving though. Oh what what, what, what did you want it to what say? What did you want to say? Do you think that's by accident or by design? The the stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think it's by design. Like it was it's definitely designed to like put us to to put to literally break us apart, you know, and 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 kill our culture in, in one way or another. Um I think that just stereotypes in general shouldn't exist, but unfortunately they do. And that's what causes a lot of discrimination and a lot of hurt to be done and to not just our race, but every single other race that isn't white, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, white people can get stereotypes, but they're the ones that made it in the first place. So it's like... You know, yeah. it's like what are know. your thoughts, Ismael? So real quick, look, I tell my students, poverty, let's just talk about poverty real quick. Poverty mm-hmm. impacts all people, including white people. Nevertheless, it disproportionately impacts people of color because the way in which policies, acts, laws, and treaties are designed. Mm-hmm. Would you like to elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. And so when you think about like three strikes uh, rules, the war on drugs, stop and frisk, um, things of that nature in the court systems is that black and brown folk get harsher sentences and punishment compared to their white counterparts for probably the same thing. Mm -hmm. And and why is that? It's because the criminalization of the black and brown body is not new. It's been going on for centuries. 
And once you have a system of enslavement and then you could no longer profit off of that system of enslavement, um, the, the status quo, the master narrative that Takaki talks about wants to sustain the construction of whiteness, that its intentions and goals are to say, if you're not white, you can't be American. And we see that reflected in the laws, in the laws that constantly are racist. We see it with, for instance, if I say um, Repatriation Act in the 1930s, Mm-hmm. That may not necessarily sound racist, but what's the outcome and the function? Is to deport people that supposedly shouldn't be here. And half of those folks that were deported in Mexico were United States citizens. A few decades later, you have Operation Wetback, which that straight up sounds racist. Yeah, that, what the heck? <laughs> the same function and the same outcome. Wow. Well, I... Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Like, it's not only us, it's like, also like Chinese Exclusion Act. It's yes. part of the Asian. Uh-huh. And it's, I feel like uh, white people are just doing it so that they can feel more power because back then they used to have slaves. And since now they don't have that, they don't have that power that they believe that they, they should have. Um, so, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. So, so real quick, right, we have to r- remind ourselves that there's a difference between white people and whiteness, mm-hmm. right? The construction of whiteness is, is a systemic um, reality in which, for instance, Dr. Eduardo Bonilla Silva, who wrote Racism Without Racist, uh, it's a must read. Um, he tells us that racism is systemic and institutional, and he also tells us that there's one important caveat before reading his book, and that's that although his book is about racism, it's not about demonizing or labeling all white people as racist because that's uh, that's inaccurate for one. And he also does tell us the, the other side to it, that um, even good people supported Jim Crow and the era of slavery. And so I think that some stories are for us and some stories are to be shared to educate the greater public. Mm-hmm. And I, and I love y'all show. I, I've been checking y'all out on YouTube. Well, thank you, Ismail. And mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up also um, just t- talking about laws that, you know, systematically mm-hmm. are, are built to, to really criminalize us people of color is uh, marijuana. So, you know, like marijuana became decriminalized criminalized because of, uh, of of African Americans and Hispanics, you know, using it back then, and it was a way um, for the U.S. to kind of just put that problem on us, you know. Uh, uh, like, are you are you familiar with with how uh, with the marijuana criminalization, how the history of that? I'm not a specialist in that. What I do know is that there's a long history in that. After um, the American Civil War, which approximately nine to 10,000 Mexican-Americans fought in on both sides, is that supposedly African-American folk are free, yet the 13th Amendment abolishes slavery unless um, it, could, it could be utilized to, as punishment for people that commit crimes and are convicted of a crime. And through that, we see the reality of convict leasing. And so prisons will lease out prisoners, inmates, 
predominantly African African Americans to corporations. And this is the thing about uh, 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 about what you're saying. So how do you do that? You got the laws to favor you. Now, how do you um, continue to sustain the cycle? Well, you make misdemeanors felonies. You have pick laws, black codes, and the vagrancy statutes. Uh, the vagrancy statutes would say something like uh, a person that can't at any time prove that they're employed, right, could get jail time. And so now you see the criminalization of, 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 of black people in the South, right, at an all-time high through legality. And so it's done to have a certain population closest to the era of enslavement. And so when you're talking about marijuana, um, you have a lot of people that were not distributing marijuana. You have people that were consuming it, and they, they, they went to prison for a long time. Mm-hmm. And now it's legal, and you have big corporations making millions off of it. Yeah. I think that that's very problematic. Oh, most definitely. That really makes me mad because, you know, so many people had to, they had no other choice but to sell marijuana, you know, or, or sell any, like marijuana specifically. The, the amount of, like, people who have been sent to prison because of just selling marijuana, and now, like you said, now that it's legal, all these big things like corporations are just taking advantage of the fact that they know very well that marijuana is very profitable and now it's just like they're just taking away something else from us you know it's just uh, yeah no that's, yeah. that's a really good point and i i also say from what you guys have been talking is that um just because like one person has like a different action or takes action to something and um identifies as a latino or white or any race does not mean that all the people from that that identifies as like a Latino or white per- white person um, should be carrying on onto that. If that makes sense, like like not all Mexicans are that way, or there's mm-hmm. always going to be bad apples. Yeah, like, literally in every single race. Like, yeah, race does not matter. Like in that aspect, like literally there are bad people everywhere. Yeah, know? like I would say like Mexico, there's like a lot of shooting and stuff like that, but that's from you know, that's Nar- narco, not yeah, narcos, but like, yeah. not every Mexican's a narco, narco you know? yeah, or not everyone is involved with that. Mm-hmm. But you know, the the news loves to dra- dramatize that. Mm-hmm. News loves to like or or the mafia with the, the yeah, Italians, Italians, or just, just mm-hmm. I mean, it's all all sorts of things. But uh, I I, I want to go back to what you're saying, Ismail, where um the the difference between whiteness and white people, right? Because mm-hmm. there there is people. Because I have plenty of friends who are white, yeah, and you know they're they're <laughs> awesome, and they're mm-hmm. some of the best people that I've met, and some of the nicest people that I've met, and I I, I really like that that you mentioned that because I, I think sometimes I, I even I'm guilty about carrying getting carried away with just blaming it all on white people when in reality it's not like every single white person that's walking on the street right now is trying to like you know get me out of this country yeah. or something right I guess we but, would have to say like racist white people to yeah. identify them. Yeah, but like also that idea of whiteness, like you were saying, mm-hmm. is, is very important to understand. Um, and I wanted to ask you, Ismail, so back the, back at the beginning of the show, you were mentioning how there's a difference between Hispanic and Latino. Um, how do you feel about Hispanic Heritage Month and, and it being called Hispanic, you know, Heritage Month? Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give you the, the short answer to that. Um I take the opportunity 
to okay cool let, let me break it down like this right um let's say let's say because hypothetically speaking i don't like the term hispanic and thus i'm not even going to be on the show then i lose the opportunity to educate people on what i do want to say and what i do feel is important and so with that being said um I want to utilize this time in this month to bring awareness to issues um, that have historically excluded specific uh, people from uh, a Latin American country, whether they speak Spanish or not. Yeah, so like already like Hispanic, like you were saying, that doesn't include Brazil. Um, that doesn't uh, include, yeah, just include other. Brazil. No, it's just a, it's a word. That's very, like you said, very European, very Spanish, like Spain. Like it, it's, it's, like I, I personally would identify more as a Latino than I would Hispanic, like any time of the day. But I, I get what you're saying. Um, yeah. I think that's a really smart way of approaching it. Is kind of just using this month to your advantage and by it, like saying like, oh well, it says Hispanic, but you know, well that doesn't count like everybody, you know, or, or not everyone identifies as Hispanic. Who, quote unquote, would fall under Hispanic? You know what I mean. Yeah. So there's also like for Spain, Spanish, just like Spanish, they identify as that too. Really, Spanish people identify as Hispanic? No, like or, Spain or people mean? say um, I'm Spanish. Yeah, and they're from Spain. And from Spain, yeah. 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 But um, st- speaking about like Hispanic tradition. What were you, what is something that you wish to pass down as um, Latino American? A tradition that you would like to pass down. Pass down. I was talking about that with my wife last night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it would it, it would hands down be Dia de los Muertos. Oh yeah. Oh, so mm-hmm. I have a I have a little altar for my pops with, with a picture, and um, I. I I consider myself a spiritual person. I, I am Catholic. I was born in a Catholic family. I, I do pray in Spanish. I don't know how to pray in English. Same. Uh, <laughs> same, same. I can only pray. Yeah, it's coming from also from a family who is very Catholic. Like, I can only pray or go to church in Spanish. Like, mm-hmm. it just makes more sense to me. You know. <laughs> I really don't know the lyrics in English. Do <laughs> it if I wanted to. So, I learn all my prayers in Spanish and. Um, uh, I would say Dia de los Muertos is coming up. Um, it's very important for me to, once again, like that's 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 some of the, like the real realities and, and concepts of walking stars is that, you know, we never really die. And that um, to steal a line from Coco, and not just because of Coco, right, is that I really <laughs> believe that cultures that, you know, the only time people really die is when they're forgotten, you know? And, and so I celebrate my dad's life. Um, on his birthday, uh, on the other muertos, and my other ancestors and my other relatives, and I give thanks for for being healthy, for having a beautiful family, and for having the opportunity with every sunrise to be a better being. And so I would say, Dia de los Muertos is is my favorite tradition. Um, I love Sempa Sochis. I love the the orange flowers. Uh, mm-hmm. I just like the way they look. Uh, They're beautiful. We go to the cemetery and decorate my dad's uh, grave with those. And so I would say Dia de los Muertos, hands down, is my favorite tradition I want to pass on to my children. Uh, the- yeah, I would say 
like you mentioned Coco, and I'm Guatemalan-American, and I didn't really know much about Dias de los Muertos. Um, only, like, I, they, they only, like, advertise, like, the schools and the flowers uh, when I was in elementary school. But once I watched Coco, it was, like, very emotional, like, sentimental movie when I watched it. And I actually cried because it was, like, so good because it just like really shows like what it means for people for Dia de los Muertos. So yeah, I really recommend people to watch that show. If you, I mean, that movie if they haven't seen it. Yeah, okay. and for me, um, you know, since I'm Mexican, uh, Dia de los Muertos has always been very important to me and my family. Um, and it's uh, just a beautiful holiday because it, I really get to just really just reiterate my that, that um, like just, just really understand where my ancestors came from and like that my ancestors never really die you know they're, they're always with me they're they're with me everywhere and they're protecting me and they're guiding me to do you know the best things in life that i can and just being able to like hear stories from my uncles about people who have passed like my grandparents or just being able to decorate an altar with them and and really learn more about like my his the history of my family it's it's beautiful um and it makes me so proud to be uh, a Mexican-American here and being able to celebrate something that's, you know, celebrated so much in Mexico and but bring it here to America and still get the same, like, uh, like feeling, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if you knew, but here in San Rafael, we, we actually have our own Day of the Dead celebration that happens on November 6th um, down at the Pickleweed Community Center uh, here in the Canal area. And, um, you know, m me and my mom have been making an altar for uh, my brother, uh, for for a long time now, but um, I'd also we just recently uh, one of my mom's sisters, my aunt, uh, passed away too, uh, and we're gonna be making an altar for her as well. But it's just like like you know, my mom she really loves Day of the Dead because you know for her it really hurts to see someone pass away, but Day of the Dead serves as a good reminder for her that you know they're not they're not really dead. They're they're still here with us, and and there's still ways to celebrate who they were and who they are um and it's just a really beautiful time and and even if like you aren't mexican i think it's always good to go and maybe visit one of these day of the dead events or just altars or be able to go see one because um it's there's really nothing like it and it's a really beautiful tradition um that was brought from mexico here that's celebrated now here in america and i think it's worth it for everyone to go check them out because uh, maybe you're inspired too to make your own altar because obviously it's not just limited to Mexican people to do it. I know there's a lot of people who aren't Mexican who who put down altars as well, um, and it's just like like they, that's awesome. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that because that's definitely a tradition I would want to pass down to my future kids. So mm -hmm. yeah. And how 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 do you think we should continue to raise awareness? Um, about Latino history and also Hispanic heritage, well, Hispanic history as well? Yeah, I think that you know, that's a great question. I think that it should be um, through education, mm -hmm. through ethnic studies courses. Um, that should be requirements. Uh, there are requirements in the state of California for CSU students. I don't see why we, why, uh, we should do the same for UCs and schools in general. And I, I think that's important. I think that we need also films, like movies, uh, documentaries, 
um, written and directed and acted by Latinas and Latinos for Latinas and Latinos. Exactly. So I think that um, representation is, 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 is necessary. Equally important is um, the follow through of that cultural production to be uh, uh, an accurate depiction to inspire others. Most definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, we're uh, running short on time now, but Ismael, it's been great having you on the show today. Um, we really have had a whole lot of fun just, just being able to talk to you about where we come from and, and you sharing your thoughts with everyone. Uh, are there any last words or, or sentences that you'd like to um, let, let our audience know um, before the show yeah, ends? Yeah, sure. Um, for anybody uh, that's... Um, ready to take a college community college course come see me i want to apologize for being in the van uh because we're live on set we got the we have the director outside waiting for me and we're gonna finish uh filming my my music videos um here in the mission district where i grew up awesome other than that please check out walking stars ep i'm utilizing my real name to pay tribute to my to my ancestors and um i think that that's important I want to say thank you to to y'all for reaching out, for saying the emails, following up, making sure I'm here. I hope that one day I could be live in the studio with y'all. Yeah, Many that, that would be great. Yeah, I mean, one of these days, once you know, hopefully this whole thing we're in right now will get better. Well, we'll more than likely with open hands, just um, we have you here in the studio with us. Yeah, and thank you so much for like making time because I know today is very busy for you. Um, but we are very grateful that you were able to make some time and accommodate um, with our timing here on the show. Oh, thank you. I appreciate y'all. All right. Well, that's it from us, everyone. Uh, again, this is Ismael Lara, our guest for today, and we'll catch you guys next week. Thank you all, and take care. All right. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.